As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The tall, lanky lefty comes set. He kicks and the 3-2 on the way. Swinging a bouncer toward short and through the center field. A base hit. Cardinals will have the lead. Goldschmidt scores from third. Rounding third to Young coming home. And holding it first with a single to the left of second and on through to center field for Marcelo Zuna. And the Cardinals have had themselves a big top of the fifth inning. It is now St. Louis 4 and Washington 3. Hello and welcome everybody to another post-game edition of the Racing Presidents podcast. I am Ryan Warmly and joining me as always is our Nationals insider Todd Dybus. The Nationals of course lost 6-3 tonight to the St. Louis Cardinals. They fall to 12-15 and on the season. And Todd, it feels like every one of these I've done lately has been reacting to a loss. Of course, that's bound to happen when a team loses 10 of 16 games. For whatever reason, this group just cannot string together multiple wins in a row. What exactly is the secret they're missing here that they need to figure out to finally go on a winning streak? Yeah, we keep seeing signs of a 500 team, which you know is where they've been so often from last year into this year. Because once you get something right, something else goes wrong. And the something that was right tonight was actually the bullpen for the second consecutive night. They now have 12 consecutive scoreless innings. But Patrick Corbin imploded. Probably is going to be an end up being an outlier implosion for him. He was pitching very well coming into tonight. Even in his career, over the last 40-plus starts, uh, he had allowed six earned runs in a game once. He allowed six runs in one inning tonight. So it was weird to see him come unraveled that quickly. But that's what's going to happen if you don't if you just keep finding a new gap, which the Nationals seem to do. Whether they're cold runners in scoring position, whether the bullpen is not pitching well, which it did so much of the season until just the last two nights or whether in this case it was a rare bad outing from a starter, you have a gap somewhere, and that stalls you out. Yeah, and you know, as you alluded to, this is definitely the outlier so far in this season for Patrick Corbin. He yeah. had uh, more walks in this outing than he has the rest of April combined, twice as many current <laughs> runs as any other start this season. And, of course, in that fifth inning, six of those batters each base in a row after the second out in the inning. So he was on the cusp of getting out of it with just the one home run allowed and just could not seem to be able to put them away. You kind of stole my thunder in your five things to know that you wrote for the site. I was going to mention here the swinging strikes stat, excuse me, the swinging strikes stat from tonight. He only got five of them in his 92 pitches. All of them came from the slider and uh, he was just not even close to up to par to what he's been so far in the season. His other swinging strikes by start, 14, 12, 16, 10, and 11. So this is half of his previous worst so far in the season. Did you see anything specific out of him tonight as to why he might have been struggling? 
I think just all around his location was bad, and he was getting himself into bad counts because he didn't have great command. And then once he was there, he had to catch a lot of a plate to try to kind of get back into counts. Um, and you're not going to get many swinging strikes. Instead, that stuff's going to be put in play. And we also, I, I don't want to portray it as he was hit really hard. In, in, in that inning, he had poor command. Uh, he was really irked by the walk to Matt Carpenter in a lefty-lefty situation. But there was a ground ball up the middle that, you know, it seemed Carter Keyboom should, at a minimum, keep in the infield, but he didn't even get a glove on it, uh, kind of raising some eyebrows for me about his range. We also saw him make an error uh, earlier in the game where a ball just went under his glove. So some of that refinement that Mike Rizzo was referring to when they initially didn't call up Carter Keyboom, we, we saw that specifically tonight defensively in the field. So, you know, a, a single in that inning, a double in that inning, a single in that inning, there was a home run earlier in the inning by Harrison Bader, who doesn't hit many home runs. That, I thought, was a pretty alarming sign, and that was on an 0-1 pitch. And I also thought it was clear that Corbin was quickly sliding downhill, and I was kind of surprised at how long it took them to get the bullpen going. I suppose that's a direct result of there being two outs, and you figure, you know, he's going to get somebody here and, and kind of limit the damage. It just... He, he was never able to, and he ended up giving up six runs in the inning. Yeah, I, I took a screenshot of the exit velocity data from this game from uh, Baseball Savant, and mm-hmm. of the top 11 balls in play, 10 of them, in terms of hardest hit balls, 10 of them came from the Cardinals. And, of course, that wasn't all off of Patrick Corbin, but, you know, 99 right. times out of 100, when that happens, your team is going to lose the game if you're not hitting the ball that hard. Um, one unit that actually didn't struggle with command tonight was the bullpen. As we alluded to earlier, four innings, three hits, three strikeouts, and most impressively to me, no walks. This is, as you mentioned, the second straight day that they looked pretty good. Of course, no longer last in baseball in terms of ERA. <laughs> that title goes to the, the friendly Orioles up 95. Uh, is there anything in particular that they're doing differently, or is this just, hey, it's a really nice two games? The math tells us that there's going to be some progression to the mean if i can use that phrase there's going to be something has to be a little bit better it wouldn't seem as a group that they're going to go through the entire season with an era seven or worse uh despite how bad everything looked down there for so long you know uh justin miller looked much much better tonight and and in the last outing than his first outing off the injured list so maybe he's getting his feet back on the ground wander suero had a good night I thought the best of the three relievers uh, between him, Miller, and then Matt Grace uh, also had a scoreless inning. So, you know, it's just two days. There's been a, a you know month plus. There's been 25 other games of them not being great. So I wouldn't quite uh, crank up the parade yet, but it's progress and it's desperately needed progress. And as you mentioned, you know, in your face Orioles, you're now 30th <laughs> in the league. Uh, the nationals have moved up to get a nice strong grip on 29th place in ERA bullpen. Yeah. When I was looking at those stats, it was interesting because they've been last in ERA for so long. And I had actually forgotten that they also have pitched the fewest innings as a unit. Yes. The starters have generally done pretty well going deep into games last night and, and or excuse me tonight and Sunday notwithstanding um, so that's something that they haven't had to 
go out there as often as you might see from a, a bullpen that struggles. A lot of times when the bullpen is trying to get those extra outs than they are used to getting, that's when you see them really start to blow up. And of course, that hasn't really been the case for the Nationals in terms of, of usage. Uh, I wanted to ask you something, Todd. I actually wrote this down in my notes a couple of games ago, something that you tweeted. We didn't end up getting to it that night, but I want to ask you how you apply the statement to the bullpen specifically, but really the team in general. You had tweeted out, this is game 25, folks, and somebody had reacted with something about it being early, and you followed up with, I didn't mean that in the it's early vein. I don't believe in that argument. How exactly do you apply that statement to the bullpen and the Nats in general? Yeah, it, whenever you're, I hear it's early, it's early, um, that is, to me, based on the assumption that things can't get worse or something else can't go wrong or someone who's playing well at the time isn't going to be playing poorly later that you believe uh, all those positive things are going to withstand another five months of baseball, which we know is simply not true, and people get hurt. So when you have a bad foundation the first five weeks the first 20 to 25 games of the season then you run into someone getting hurt like does someone getting hurt from the nationals happen way earlier than i would have anticipated and that was obviously trey turner getting hurt um very very early in the season four games in the season so those things happen starting pitchers get hurt in particular you have one starting pitcher in this rotation who's a very important part of it gets hurt on almost an annual basis uh, if you're going to overuse your bullpen early on, trying to squeeze out narrow win after narrow win, it's often that those guys end up getting hurt. If you go back and look at last year, April was bad, then May was good. And when, even though May was good, these three main guys were still used throughout the month. Brandon Kinsler, Ryan Madsen, Sean Doolittle. They were used a ton in May. And that went along with good starting pitching, but again, no one else was really in the game uh, to close it out other than those three guys. And guess what, Ryan? All three got hurt. <laughs> so, um, And then you get to July when those guys are down or, you know, or out in the case of Kinsler and Madsen. Uh, and Doolittle was injured and you get to July and you get to the trade deadline and you get into August. And then you're, it's much too late. And a lot of that goes back to what happened in April and May. And so to kind of discount what's occurring now, because there's more runway for games to be played, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I, I think we see that proven out time and again, and we even start to hear some players say it now. It's, it, it's, you have to play well now, especially in this division this year, it's going to be a, probably a one postseason team uh, division. It's going to be a very, very difficult division. Those are going to be rock fights. So in other places, you have to make up some ground somehow. And when you're playing poorly against Miami Marlins or San Francisco Giants, both of which are not going to be good teams over the course of the season, and you're playing poorly against them in April, you're going to be kicking yourself in August for that. Long gone are the days of the Nationals running away with the division by 20 games yep. by, the, by the end of it. You know, you sort of touched on how they haven't played well uh, against that weaker competition. It's something that you and I have lamented on this podcast a number of times. This is a prime example of now stepping up against a fellow would-be contender in the Cardinals. St. Louis has won eight of its last nine games now. They have the second-best record in baseball at 18-10. and 10. And just looking ahead at the schedule, and, and we've talked about this a lot, exactly. but it's 
at Philly, at Milwaukee, at Dodgers, versus Mets, versus Cubs, at the Mets, going back towards the start of the Padres series up through that at the Mets series, that's 27 straight games against teams that range anywhere from good to really, really good. We've talked about the bullpen a lot as one of the reasons for the struggles of this team. To you, is is that unit the biggest key in keeping their heads above water during this brutal stretch, or is there another unit that you think really needs to step up here? I think it's going to be everybody because there's only basically one off day in that entire mix as well. So you're, it's, it's this great push and pull we see throughout a baseball season, right? And that's why it's so exhausted to play 162 games because when you kind of take away from this pile over here, it can bite you over there. So if you get poor starting pitching for even three or four days in a row, then you're starting to drain your bullpen and that drain comes back around when you're playing again a week later and nobody's had a break in between. And even if you get some lighter usage, there's still tax from earlier and then something else is going to go a little south. So you have to use them more and et cetera, et cetera. It's just such a compounding issue everywhere. Um, so, you know, a getting Anthony Rendon back, should that ever happen uh, would, would be highly beneficial. Be the bullpen, continuing to pitch well obviously they're not going to put up scoreless innings every night but you know just being league average would be a huge leap for this group and you anticipate where you spent your money is what's going to keep you stable during a run like this and that's the starting pitching so they need a better Anibal Sanchez they need a better Jeremy Hellickson and they need Max Scherzer Steven Strasburg Patrick Corbin to be the guys that we have basically seen so far this season. That's that's paramount. Looking at the opposing bullpen tonight, the Cardinals, of course, employ the hardest thrower in Major League Baseball in Jordan Hicks. As a batter, how do you approach an at-bat against a guy who throws over 100 miles per hour basically every pitch? I mean, the eight fastest pitches thrown tonight were all from Hicks. No other pitcher got within five miles per hour of, of his slowest pitch. What do you do as a batter when you're stepping up against a guy like that? Yeah, Jan Gomes didn't look too sure when he swung in no, an 89 mile an hour slider. <laughs> he was he seemed so geared, you know, for that hundred hundred plus, and then he swung at that, and he was like, "Oh boy," um, you could just kind of read it on his face. So, I mean, you just got to load up, right? I mean, everybody talks about how you a pitcher can throw it as hard as they want at the major league level. A, a hitter can hit it and. They they argue they could turn around a bullet if it's straight. Uh, so what you're seeing basically are bullets out of Jordan Hicks, 100, 100 plus um, with regularity. And, you know, if it's up, it's going to be super hard to handle. If, if it, you know, if it's down, it's probably still hard to handle, probably easier for left-handers in that case. But it's, you know, it's not fun. I would imagine that. And it's an interesting conversation, Ryan, actually to have with, with some of the guys tomorrow or during the series is just like, what, what is that at bat feeling like for them against a guy who is not going to throw it 95 miles an hour, unless it's some form of off speed pitch in his world. Um, you know, it's triple digits every time. And then here's a slider and it doesn't have to be a good slider because, that discrepancy in velocity that we usually anticipate seeing uh, between fastballs and off-speed stuff and kind of that double-digit difference, he's getting it even though he's throwing a pitch 89, 90 miles an hour. Essentially a changeup for him that happens to also break sharply down and away 
as Correct. A, as a slider. I mean, I, it's always fun to have the conversation with friends. Like, oh, how, if you had a thousand at bats, you think you could at least put a ball in play <laughs> off an average? Result? I guarantee you, if I was stepping in the plate against Jordan Hicks, I would throw out my back within the first three pitches. There's no <laughs> doubt about it in my mind. Yeah, it kind of feels like every, everybody would be a repeat of John Crook in the All-Star game against Randy Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Remember that situation? He wants no part of Randy Johnson. I think that's kind of how the matchup might feel to some degree. That's an all-time great highlight reel moment for, for him. <laughs> you know, I, we've, we've talked mostly about the pitching tonight. There's not really too much to get into on the offensive side for the Nationals. They didn't really <clears> do <throat> a ton at the plate. I mean... Patrick Corbin had one of the best at-bats of the night, and when that happens and it's your starting pitcher and it's not a starting pitcher named Max Scherzer, that's usually a recipe that doesn't end too well for you. Yeah, nine-pitch at-bat that with the bases loaded. Um, Adam Eaton said afterward that Corbin probably had the two best at-bats of the evening, and um, we were kind of joking on the way up that who would be the pitcher that you would pinch hit and you would expect that would kind of fall to Max Scherzer, possibly by seniority, but you could even match up with those guys, Max Scherzer or Patrick Corbin. If it came down to it, you have the lefty-righty situation there. So, um, yeah, he's a good athlete. We've seen that when he's fielding the ball and obviously when he's throwing it, uh, but also at the plate. It's a decent swing. Uh, it's, it's a good at-bat. Whenever the pitcher does that, you think, well, we're going to score multiple runs this inning, and that was the lone inning they did score multiple runs after that. Just uh, one more hit after the second inning. Yeah, Victor Robles, Juan Soto, Howie Kendrick, they all were sporting offers at the end of the night. Adam Eaton, of course, had the two two runs driven in, but that was it for the rest of the night, as, as you mentioned. Todd, I, I said earlier that you stole my thunder on one of the pieces in your five things to know after the game. You actually did it twice. Another stat I was going to throw <laughs> yeah. your way that you also included, these are your first two notes in your piece, was that the Nats have now gone one and nine in series openers. Is there anything in particular that you might attribute that to, or is it just dumb luck? I, I think it's anomaly, and, and what was more surprising to me is we were talking to Brian Dozier, and he was asked about that. They're aware. He said that it came up before in a meeting the series before this one. So they're aware he even was able to name the one series opener that they won, which was the New York Mets home opener. And if you remember, that was a really good outing by Steven Strasburg. That was the post game where Noah Syndergaard complained about their travel. This is a different complaint than the Syracuse travel complaint complained about their travel from Miami the night before saying, you know, the team wasn't very well rested for day game as the home opener the next day and uh, Strasburg shut them down that day. That's the only series opener they have won all season. And, and it's a very strange thing, especially since one of Davey Martinez's pet sayings is win the day. And then he kind of doubles down on that by saying they really want to win the first game of every series to put them in a good spot to win the series, you know, and this is the what we always hear about the grind through the baseball season, win the series, win the series, win the series, win two or three, two or three, two or three, and obviously you'll be in a good place at the end. That's not very difficult math, but yeah. if you're constantly losing the series opener, you're making life much harder on yourself, and that kind of seems to be, if there was a slogan or theme for the 2019 Washington Nationals, making life more difficult may be it. Todd, we talked about how they're in the middle of this really tough stretch, 27 straight games. They're now four in. In the remaining 23 games they have in this run, 
Is there a number you have in mind that you'd like to see them hit in terms of wins? I mean, obviously it'd be cool if they won 23 in a row or something like that, but is there a reasonable number that you think they should be aiming for at the very least? I think if they can just come out of that, some, they're three games under 500 after tonight. If somehow they come out of that over 500, even if that's, you know, two games or much better, even three games, then they would kind of be pleased with that positioning. If they're able to kind of get some things right, get the bullpen right during the course of that, A, that would contribute greatly to being able to come out of that 500, above 500. Um, and B, it, anything you're doing here, you're buying yourself time until Trey Turner comes back. You're buying yourself time until Anthony Rendon comes back. You're buying yourself time until possibly Trevor Rosenthal comes back. And who knows what will happen, but it can't be worse than what has already happened. And he left for West Palm beach to hit extended spring training uh, today. So that starts tomorrow. He's going to throw every other day down in West Palm beach for as long as it takes until he is ready in his mind. That won't take very long Uh, in the nationals mind. They're just going to wait and see and then pass judgment when they think he's ready to come back up. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't believe in that adage. It's early. It's early. It's early. You know, this is a time to get right, and if you're able to do that while you're missing some of your key pieces and then bring them back together, and then who knows what Mike Rizzo will do when the trade deadline approaches, that could be a way to kind of start turning the ship around. But for right now, there's three games under that this next stretch through the schedule. That's a way you can bury a season uh, before the end of May. The most accurate thing any one of us has said tonight is that it cannot get worse for what we've seen from Trevor Rosenthal <laughs> early in 2019. Real quick no. before we get out of here, I just want to ask on Tuesday night, Anibal Sanchez going to the mound for the Nationals. Any keys to his outing that you're looking for? Just, I mean, it's the same for him every time. I mean, he, he basically needs to outsmart and outlocate uh, the batter. Um, you know, we haven't seen him be very good so far this season and he just needs to be better and, and it's a big spot for them they you know they lose tomorrow to lose the first two games of this four game series with st louis and obviously at best you could get a split and then you're up in philadelphia which is playing a little bit better despite bryce harper not playing very well lately um so you know you need every inch here Ryan at this point especially since again you you're off to not a good start and you don't get those games back um but you have a lot of runway to try to make up some of the ground and be better in times of wasting I'm gonna let you get out of here Todd but before I do I just want to remind everybody listening to be sure to check out our Redskins Talk podcast they are now, I believe, in the top 50 of all sports ca- podcasts on iTunes. Ooh, That's what timer. I saw a picture from uh, Pete Haley, one of the hosts earlier. That is very big time for them. He, JP, Mitch Tischler, they are doing some really great work over there. Unlimited draft content. Of course, 2019 NFL draft just happened last weekend. Wall-to-wall coverage from those guys, and they've done a pretty terrific job and have a very well-earned break coming up here, but they are not going to stop podcasting giving you guys the content that you want. Be sure to check them out and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and do the same for us. This has been another edition of the Racing Presidents Postgame Podcast. For Todd Divis, I am Ryan Warmly. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will be back tomorrow. The shovels have not yet hit a grand slam this year. 
They hit 296 with them loaded. And a swing and a line drive. Base hit down the left field line. That'll score a couple. Dozier has scored. Throw to the play. Offline, not in time. Heading for second. Eaton. Throw there. Not in time. Over to third on the play is Patrick Corbin. It's a single to left for Adam Eaton. And two runs batted in his seventh and eighth of the year. Scoring Dozier and Gomes. Second on the throw for Eaton. Runners on second and third with two out. It's the Nationals three and St. Louis nothing.